The Old Testament lesson is from Amos chapter 8. Hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, When will the new moon be over that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make the ephah small and the shekel great, and deal deceitfully with false balances, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, and sell the chaff of the wheat. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their deeds. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistle lesson is from 1 Timothy, the second chapter. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women to profess godliness, with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was born first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I invite you to rise to hear the Holy Gospel. The Holy Gospel for this, the 15th Sunday after Pentecost, is according to St. Luke, the 16th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. And this uh, text will also serve as the basis for the message this morning. Jesus also said to his disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. 
I've decided what to do. So that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their homes. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. And then he said to another, and how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. For either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all of these things, and they ridiculed him. And Jesus said to them, You are those who just justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Well, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for this morning's message is the gospel reading that I just read to you moments ago. But I'm going to read it to you once again, this parable that Jesus spoke to his disciples. We read, And Jesus also said to his disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and he said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be my manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do since my master has taken the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do, so that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into the houses. And so summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. And then he said to another, and how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. Now the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of light are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. This is our text. In the name of Jesus, dear friends. When we squander our God-given opportunities in life, when we misuse or mismanage our God-given riches, when we attempt to live our lives independent of God, when we transgress God's law, when we stand before God on judgment day and he conducts a review of our life's performance, what are we going to do? What are we going to rely upon 
on that day of reckoning. The three parables that we read in Luke 15, the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigal son are often discussed. And I mentioned in last week's sermon how Luke 15 is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. But there's a fourth parable in that series of parables that is not as well known. The parable to which I want, which, which I refer is the one that I just read to you moments ago. It is often separate and apart from the three parables of Luke 15 because of the chapter break. But you need to know there is no chapter break in the original text. Chapters were added. So the parable of the shrewd manager is actually a continuation of the previous three parables, and there are several connections that we find between the parables of chapter 15 and this one. The parable of the shrewd manager, like the preceding parables, reveals the mercy of God for lost people. In last week's sermon, we heard how the love of God is such that he is like that shepherd who leaves the 99 sheep so that he may go and find that one lost sheep. Or God's concern for the lost is like the woman who lights her house with candles and she searches every nook and cranny of her home until she finds her lost silver coin. The parable of the lost son, also known as the prodigal son, introduces us to a son who demands from his father his share in the inheritance. And then he takes that inheritance and he rapidly squanders it on reckless living. But the parable's primary focus is not the son, but its focus is really on the father who mercifully receives and forgives his wayward son. You may recall, if you're familiar with that parable, that the son is sitting in the mud amongst the pigs when he remembers the kindness and the mercy and the compassion of his father. And Jesus narrates, but when he came to himself, when the prodigal son came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And then Jesus tells us that that son arose and he came to his father. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him and filled with compassion, the father ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. The father is the epitome of mercy and compassion and forgiveness. The father is so elated that his son has returned that he hosts a party. And as he celebrates this, this son returning with his neighbors, the father has to go outside of the party to his quote-unquote loyal son, the elder son, who begrudges all the attention that's being afforded to this black sheep of the family who has now returned. And the father says to his son, the elder son, we had to celebrate and be glad, for this brother was dead and is alive. He is lost. And is found. That's mercy. That's compassion. That's God's forgiveness illustrated to us. That's the rich man in the parable of the shrewd manager. Like the prodigal son, the manager who 
was the house accountant, has squandered the riches that were entrusted to him. Squandered them. The word squandered, translated in the ESV in our text as wasted, is the same Greek word that is used of the prodigal son when it says that the prodigal son squandered his property, that is the inheritance of his father in reckless living. And so Jesus connects the parable of the prodigal son with this parable of the shrewd manager. And so Jesus begins this parable of the shrewd manager saying, there was a rich man who had a, manage, who had a manager and, he, and charges were brought to the rich man that this manager was wasting, was squandering his possessions. And for his dereliction of duty, the rich man fires the manager. You cannot be my manager anymore. Even this firing is an act of mercy. It's an act of mercy on the part of the rich man. For you see, the rich man could have had the manager arrested. And he could have had him imprisoned for the misappropriation of funds of his property. And so the manager faces a desperate situation. His wellspring of finances is drying up as his life becomes undone. And added to the problems that he has with the rich man, his prestige and influence in the community will be irreparably damaged. His reputation is about to be sullied once word gets out that he's been fired. And shame will be attached to his family name. This is his pig pen. A pig pen of his own making. And he is up to his neck in slop. And so breaking out into a soliloquy, the rich man considers his options. We read in our text, what shall I do? What shall I do since my master has taken the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. And so what does the manager do? Well, he follows the example of the prodigal son. He entrusts himself to the mercy of his Lord, to the mercy of the rich man. He says, I've decided what to do. So that when I am received or removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. And so summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. And then he said to another, and how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. Note the adverb, and I emphasized it as I was reading those words to you, quickly. Sit down quickly and write 50. The manager is driven to address his predicament with a sense of urgency. You see, there's only so much time before the debtors hear of his firing. And so he wants to cut a deal with the debtors. It's a shrewd move. It's clever. The fool has actually come to his senses. If you're listening to me, you're probably thinking, but Pastor Schaefer, this doesn't sound like the manager is relying on the mercy of his master. In fact, it appears that he's conniving and that he's acting a little bit deceitfully, to say the least. But oh, the manager is relying on the mercy of the rich man. Let me explain. You see, the manager is banking on, and there's no pun intended, but he's banking on the fact 
that the rich man has a reputation in the community of being a generous, charitable, merciful man. And because the rich man has such a reputation in the community, the debtors are not suspicious. They're not suspicious of the generous deals that the manager is offering to him. You're cutting, me a, you're cutting my debt by 50%? Oh, how generous of the rich man. You're cutting my debt by 20%? Oh, how kind of the rich man. It was just in the character of the rich man. There was no one in the community that he was a generous, a generous man. Now place yourself in their shoes. If you had a banker say to you, I will forgive 50% of all of your mortgage, how might you feel toward that bank and the bank's representative? If a person, a wealthy person, pays off 20% of your student loan, what would your disposition toward that person be? Would you not have a deep sense of gratitude in your heart for him or her? And would you not speak well of that person throughout all of the community? Did you hear what that bank did for me? It may do something similar for you. Well, when the rich man hears what the manager has done, he reacts in an unexpected way. At least it's unexpected to me. I mean, I would expect the rich man, once he hears that this manager has kind of cut these deals, I would, I would expect him to say to the manager, what in the world have you done? You have cost me substantial money by your wheelings and your dealings. You have no right to make that agreement, those agreements with those people. I'm not just going to fire you, but I am going to put you in prison. And I'm going to go and I'm going to cancel all those illegitimate contracts that you just solicited. But that's not how the rich man responds, is it? He responds in a way that the shrewd manager anticipates. He responds in mercy, with grace. Jesus says in the parable that the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. The rich man commends the manager for his shrewdness. For his deceitfulness? No. The manager is praised for his shrewdness, for his wisdom, for his acting wisely because, you see, the manager relies on the generosity, on the compassion, on the mercy of the rich man. And in so doing, the rich man is seen by those whose debts that are partially forgiven for what he is. He is seen as generous. He is seen as merciful. He is seen as compassionate and kind. And that's what this man is like. And the manager himself benefits by acting shrewdly, acting wisely as well, for he salvages his own reputation, and he has now placed himself in the good graces of his debtors. Jesus then says, the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of an unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails... You may receive, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Jesus is employing here a common Hebrew way of teaching. Jesus is teaching from the lesser to the greater. And the point he's making is this. If a dishonest manager, like this shrewd manager, if this if a dishonest manager who is a son of this world 
when facing judgment in an uncertain future, relies on the mercy of his master so that he might be later received into the homes of his neighbors, how much more should the sons of light, that is, the followers of Christ, rely on and trust in the mercy of our master when we're faced with a day of reckoning? How much more should the sons of light rely on the mercy of our master who forgives all of our debt against him? So let's return to the questions with which I began this message. When we squander our God-given opportunities in life, when we mismanage or misuse our God-given riches, when we attempt to live our lives independent of God, when we transgress God's law, when we stand before God on judgment day and he does a review of our life's performance, what are we going to do? And what are we going to rely upon on that day of reckoning? The answer? We rely on the mercy of our Master and Lord. We rely on the mercy of our Master and Lord. For our Master and Lord has nail marks in his hands. Our judge is our redeemer, our savior, our brother, our friend, who loves us, who calls us to faith in him, who pays the debt in full that we owe to God with his own death on the cross. And our master and Lord, he forgives us of all of our sins and he promises us life everlasting. as we fling ourselves on the mercy of our Savior, Jesus. Jesus makes it clear in our text that we cannot serve two rival, can, we cannot have two rival lo loyalties. He says, no servant can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other, for you cannot serve both God and mammon or money. These words echo the words that Jesus had previously said in Luke 12, where he said, where your treasure is, there also your heart will be. We're not told in the parable what led to the malfeasance on the part of the manager. But it might be that the manager was no longer devoted to his master, to the rich man, because he had adopted an allegiance to the almighty dollar. He had adopted an allegiance to himself. He was devoted now to the wrong master. His position as a house accountant brought him, it brought him admiration, it brought him affluence, and it brought him influence. The property and the money that he managed gave him a sense of security, it gave him a sense of satisfaction. His position was one of independence. The only one that he was answerable to was the rich man. But it appears that he forgot that the wealth that he managed was not his own. All of this went to his head, and he forgot. He forgot that he was accountable and responsible to the head, to his master, to his Lord, to the rich man. 
we would do well to heed Jesus' words. Our wealth is not our own. Everything that we have, everything that we call our, our own, is on loan to us from God. We are simply managers of his riches. If we attempt to walk the tightrope between being devoted to the riches of this world and being devoted to God, I hazard to guess that most, if not all of us, will find ourselves serving the wrong God, resulting in our eternal destruction. Oh, money may bring us admiration from other people. They may admire the car we drive and the house we live in and the vacations we can take. But at what cost? Our affluence may give us much influence and it may give us a sense of security and satisfaction and independence. But again, at what cost? It's interesting to note that it took a famine and a demotion to a pig's pen for the prodigal son to come to his senses and remember to rely upon the mercy and the love and compassion of his father. And it took being exposed for malfeasance of the rich man's possessions and a firing for the shrewd manager to rely on the mercy of his master. What does it take for us to recognize and rely completely upon the mercy and the love and the compassion of our heavenly father and his son Jesus Christ? Someone observed, when a man's stomach is stuffed, he does not think of hunger. When a woman is well clothed, she does not think of freezing. When a house is secure, the inhabitants do not think of danger. When we are healthy, we give little thought to being sick. So too, when all is going well with us, when life is at least okay, we are lulled into thinking that maybe, perhaps, we're getting along just fine on our own. I mean, we probably won't say that out loud or even whisper it, but the voice is there, subdued, suggestive, sinister. It's easy when life is good to forget that all goodness comes from God. That's what happened to the manager. He was lulled into thinking that he was getting along just fine on his own, thank you very much. And in the process, he forgot that the source of all the good things in his life that he was managing was the rich man. He was the source of those blessings. And we would do well to remember that all the goodness in life comes from our generous and merciful master, our God. In his book, God's Promises Every Day, Jack Countryman quotes 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Though he was rich, that is Jesus, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Countryman continues, what do you imagine heaven is like? With streets of gold and gates of jewels? With peace and love and joy abounding? Can you imagine ever leaving such a place? Jesus did. He left heaven to go to the poorest people in the humblest circumstances, an enslaved nation, a, bride to be, a young bride-to-be, a poor carpenter, a manger in a stable. And why? For our sakes. 
no matter how full our bank account, we're poverty-stricken without God. For us, Jesus left heaven, and he made himself poor so that we might become rich in God. Martin Luther expressed this truth, this same truth, when he wrote in his explanation to the second article of the Apostles' Creed, and many of you are familiar with these words, when he writes, I believe that Jesus Christ, true God, begotten of the Father from all eternity, and also true man, born of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord. And he has come to redeem me, a lost, condemned person. He's purchased and he won me from all sins, from death and from the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with his holy, precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death. And why? That I may be his own and live under him in his kingdom and serve in their everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness just as he has risen from the dead and he lives and reigns through all eternity. Why did Jesus do all of this? That I, that you, may be his own and live under him, not beside him, not above him, not, not in place of him, but under him in his kingdom. And we have the privilege of serving him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. We recognize our wealth. All that we own is actually owned by God. We are managers of God's riches. We live under him. We serve him. Next Sunday, we will focus on yet another parable in this Luke chapter 16. It's the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. It's about a wealthy man who, despite his abundance of treasure, shows not even a smidgen of mercy to Lazarus, who is a man who lives in poverty and who just lives outside of this rich man's gated community. And we will see that in that parable, life does not end well for the selfish rich man. God has blessed us with an abundance of wealth. How are we using our wealth? To reflect the mercy and the love and the compassion of our master, our master Jesus Christ? How are we showing this to our neighbor? How are we being the shrewd manager? How are we relying on the mercy and the love and the compassion of our Lord as we serve him, as we serve our Lord, in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. I invite you to rise as we sing of our belief in this one true God, this merciful God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You'll find the creed that we sing this day on page 8 in your worship folder. Please rise.